The story that Andy just shared with us comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. There's nothing quite as jarring as a phone call in the middle of the night. We've all watched those scenes in movies and TV shows where the phone rings and some sleepy hand gropes for the receiver in the dark before finally picking it up and mumbling, hello? It never happens that way in our house. If we got a call at 2 a.m. or sadly in our house anytime after 9 p.m., one or both of Diana or I would jerk straight up out of bed, dive for the phone and try to clear our throats So that if the voice on the other end asks, did I wake you? We can lie convincingly. When the phone rings at that hour of the night, our minds run to all sorts of bad places. By the time we get get the phone to our ear, we're totally convinced that the church is on fire or a family member is in jail, the hospital, or worse. For for parents of teenagers, for physicians on call, for ministers, a phone call in the dark of night almost never means good news. Sometimes it's a mistake. You leap into action, come fully awake, fumble for the light, answer the phone, brace for the worst, and the voice asks, is Jake there? No, Jake is not here. In fact, Jake is never here. You have the wrong number. And then you try to get your heart rate back to normal only to toss and turn for the rest of the night because you cannot get back to sleep. In the dark, in the dark of night, there's nothing more compelling 
than a phone ringing or a voice speaking out. Paul Keim, an Old Testament scholar, says that what we all says what we already know. We live in a society that is now on call 24-7. It's all thanks to the blessed cell phones that have become ubiquitous and have created what a meme I saw recently called a whole set of uh, new behaviors. Cell yell is one of them. It's when the person sits in public in a public place and talks so loudly that you doubt they even need the phone in the first place. Or you've probably been in a meeting where a cell phone rings and everyone instantly reaches for their pocket. Or, my favorite, no one makes a move at all, letting the phone ring and ring and ring to everyone's annoyance. And we all, we have all known all too well the phenomenon professionals call phantom buzz. Those people, me included, who feel a vibration at their side or on their wrist and think their phone or watch is buzzing when it isn't. I found a study this week from a few years ago in a magazine which conducted a survey that showed that as many as 31% of people admit to sending a text message or checking email on their phones during a sermon. I think what this survey really shows is that 69% of people are lying about not checking their phones or sending a text or email during the sermon. In the midst of all this calling, Kaim asks, how then do we recognize God's voice calling us? This morning's Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel could well have been written for us here in 2024. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were not widespread. It's unusual for us to hear God's voice. God call, God's call to Samuel is apparently so uncommon that it takes three times before Eli finally has the presence of mind to tell Samuel that if he hears the voice again, he should stay put and to listen. In the Gospel of John, as Meredith just read, Nathaniel's call, I'm not sorry, as uh, Rachel just read, Nathaniel's call comes less directly, first through Philip. Come and see, he says. We have found the one about whom Moses and the prophets spoke. But Nathaniel isn't convinced. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, he questions. As if Cana and Nazareth were old high school football rivals with nothing kind to say about one another. Can anything good come out of Bearden or West or South Doyle or Webb? But Jesus has a hunch about Nathaniel. He sees beyond the skepticism. Where did you get to know me, Nathaniel asks. In other words, what is it that you see in me? Do you have something to offer that might give my life some purpose? Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, you have no idea what's in store if, you're, if you'll only come and follow me. The Bible is full of these call stories. And we need to understand that call is always, always about vocation, about finding purpose, about what we're invited to do to make something of our lives.
The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, to be called out. To be called is to have a purpose and a direction in life that fits who we are at the very core of our being. It answers the question that all of us have about why we're here, about how we make our lives count for something, not just living for ourselves, but putting ourselves into the service of some higher good. Some people find their vocation is also the way they earn a living, but that's not always the case. Maybe your vocation is not your career at all, but something else you do which is every bit much as much of God's work. Parenthood is a vocation in my opinion. The amazing challenge of helping a child navigate his or her way into adulthood. Caregiving for a loved one is a vocation. A vocation may be what happens when the dentist or the IT administrator or the history teacher discovers that teaching Sunday school or providing dinner for family promise, or washing dishes after a Wednesday night dinner provides deep satisfaction, that it provides way more so that way more than whatever pays the bills or puts, puts food on the table. Or maybe your vocation is to be a dentist, or the IT administrator, or the history teacher. The paid work you do makes life better for other people. Finding your vocation in life is discovering why you are who you are and what you're meant to do. Vocation is about making our lives count for something, living not just for ourselves, but for some higher purpose. A vocation is about discovering who it is that God has created you to be. And vocation always, always begins with call. In Samuel's case, the call is pretty obvious. Samuel, Samuel. The voice calls out as if Samuel and God are Facebook friends who chat regularly. We see that kind of straightforward communication all throughout the Bible. At the burning bush, Moses hears God telling him to lead the people out of Egypt. Abraham hears God ask him to sacrifice Isaac. Mary has a personal messenger who announces that the Holy Spirit will over, overshadow her and she will give birth to the Messiah. Dripping wet, Jesus comes up out of the Jordan to hear the voice say, You are my son, the beloved. On the Damascus Road, Paul gets knocked to the ground when God tells him to get with the program and to stop persecuting Christians. What do you think it would be like to hear God's voice that clearly. It might be terrifying. Paul was blinded. Moses tried to brush it off on the grounds that he had his speech impediment. Mary wondered if the angel had lost his mind. I think it might be a little overwhelming to have God speak that unmistakably. But there's also something wonderful about having such clarity about your life's calling. To know with certainty who you were created to be and what you were created to do. The problem for us, though, is that just like in Samuel's day, the word of the Lord is rare. Visions are not widespread. 
I know very few people who, in the moment, are able to clearly discern how God is calling them. Part of the problem is that it makes us seem a little odd, right? Lily Tomlin asks, why is it that when we speak to God, we're praying, but when God speaks to us, we're suffering from mental illness? Telling people that you've heard a voice from God can be a quick ticket to the emotional health unit at UT. My guess is that most, for most people, call is clear only in retrospect. I'll tell you that personally, I've never, ever heard God speak to me in any kind of audible voice. The best I get is a hunch or a nudge or an urge or a dream. It's only clear after the fact. That's why it always feels pretty risky. It's like the former president of one of our Presbyterian seminaries who left parish ministry in the church to accept the seminary's call. At the time, it meant moving his family all the way across the country and uprooting his two daughters, one in elementary school, the other in middle school. It was not an easy move, he recounted. On the night before the moving van arrived, the older of the two girls sat her dad down and with all the maturity a 13-year-old can muster said, Dad, I hope you're right about this call thing. None of the rest of us heard it. So we're sure hoping you're right about it. We're sure hoping you're right about it. Sometimes that's the best we get. I made my college decision based on a hunch. I sure hope this is right, God. I chose to go to seminary and which seminary to go to the same way. I came to First Presbyterian Church because nearly three years ago when I spent over an hour on a Zoom call with the PNC for our first conversation, it just felt right. I couldn't explain it any better then and I still can't. Was that a call? I thought so then and I still do. Because sometimes that's the best we get. A hunch, an idea, a sense, an inclination. The word of the Lord is rare in these days. And visions are not widespread. So what do you do? As Diana's dad likes to say, you just walk in the light that you have. You do the best you know how. You take the next step, trusting that the God who calls us into service also gives us everything we need to do the work to which we've been called. Tomorrow, we celebrate the great life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I think his call story is one that we need to hear. Martin Luther King Jr. never set out to be the leader of the civil rights movement. He had gone into seminary, or gone to ministry mostly because his father was a pastor, and Martin always did what Daddy King wanted him to do. Martin wanted a quiet life as a professor, possibly even becoming the president of Morehouse, Co Morehouse College someday. So he graduated from seminary and married Coretta Scott and moved to Montgomery, Alabama to begin work at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. 
He was content just being a pastor and a preacher until December 1st, 1955. The day when Rosa Parks, a middle-aged tailor's assistant who was tired after a hard day's work, refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white man. The clergy association in Montgomery gathered immediately and knew something had to be done. But nobody wanted to be in charge. So they nominated Martin Luther King Jr., the new young pastor in town, to be the leader of the Montgomery bus boycott. For 13 months, the 17,000 black citizens of Montgomery walked to work or got rides from the few black families who owned cars. There was harassment, there was intimidation, there were arrests, but finally, after more than a year of lost revenue and a decision by the Supreme Court, the Montgomery Bus Company was forced to fully integrate. In the course of the boycott, Martin came home late one night, exhausted, frightened, overwhelmed, and the phone rang. There was an angry voice on the other end of the line that issued one ugly threat. We're going to get you, you, and you can fill in the word. Martin Luther King stood in his kitchen, frozen. He wanted to call Daddy King for reassurance and advice, but Daddy King wasn't there. Then he said he could have sworn he heard a voice. Martin you do what's right, the voice said. You stand for justice. You be my drum major for righteousness. I'll be with you. That night, through an ugly racist phone call, Martin Luther King Jr. heard his name called. He knew what God wanted for him and from him. His life was forever changed, and that life, used so well by God, changed the world. I don't know what it is that God's calling you to do. Maybe it's as big and as complicated as leading a national movement. Maybe it's as overwhelming as packing up and moving across the country. Maybe it's answering the call to serve as a deacon or an elder. Maybe it's as simple as rolling up your sleeves and following that hunch to feed the hungry or to raise a child or to visit the lonely or to love the unlovable. Where is it that God's spirit is nudging you? Wherever it is, my prayer is that we can each respond. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen.